0: Ladies and gentlemen, our next event of the evening is a one-fall match with a 60-minute time limit.
1: What I'd like to have right now. Where the big boys play. This is where the big boys play, huh? This is where the big boys play. Well, hello. You're listening to Where the Big Boys Play. I'm here with Chad. How are you, Chad?
0: Doing great. How are you doing, Parf? Uh,
1: very good, and uh, happy New Year to you. Yep, you too. Um, so let's dive straight in, shall we? We're here to discuss uh, Clash of the Champions three. Um, b- before we do that, uh, I thought we'd take a look at some of uh, some of the comments. Uh, we have a, a variety of comments here um, from the uh, from the web page itself from the Kayfabe Memories message board and from uh, our our hometown pro wrestling only. So um, first of all, well, I'll just read the the one that's on the um, on the blog site itself. Uh, it's from Dirty Dog Darcy. He says, "Hey guys, love the show. I'm happy to hear you guys review NWA and WCW per views. I enjoy hearing what Dave Meltzer says about the show too." And then he says something that I don't quite understand. He says, "I have a few WCW tapes from over the years." Starcade ninety three, Fall Brawl ninety five, Uncensored ninety nine, sold out two thousand, and Slamboree two thousand. And those are some of my favourite events from the start. The high and the low of WCW. Thanks for the podcast. <laughs> well thanks for listening, Dirty Dog Darcy. Um although I don't I don't really understand. that's a really random collection of shows there, uh that he's got. Um and uh mostly the low of WCW from what I can see. Fall Brawl ninety five is a good show actually, when we get to it. And uh, Starcade '93, that's got a great main event. Um, this one from the uh, from our friend Shu from the pro wrestling only site. He said, "I'm going to agree with Chad on the first tag. I thought it was real good, not classic or anything, but a good match and a, uh, told a story. Another thing you notice is that the Cornet factor, not being up inside, takes down the heat on the uh, Midnight Express matches. We saw this on the '90 uh, yearbook." With the Pillman Zinc match, um, I like the Dusty Windham match. I thought the crowd he made the match. Um, he he also likes the fact that we uh, talk about the Wrestling Observer and uh, Meltzer's talking points. So uh, if you recall last show, we um, disagreed on uh, the first tag match um, on the Great American Bash. It was Arn and Tully versus uh who was who it again? Arn and Tully. Nikita versus, and Sting. Yeah, Nikita and Sting. And uh, Shu basically agrees with you. Uh, so it's 1-0. Um, but then, over on the Kayfabe memory site, the Brain Follower, he says, This was a great podcast. Can't agree more about pro wrestling only. I'm a regular lurker there, uh, who's never even thought of trying to join or post anything. He says, I can't ag- help but agree that the opening tag match was pretty lousy. I find it funny and sad. Uh, at the big, we ha- we better have a big hit or we're dead show that Bash88 was, they again rely on a stupid DQ and BS finishes, rather than put some faces over clean. Then again, I don't think Nikita had any business as a champion by this point. He also says that the VHS uh, tape is terrible, and that the uh, Midnight's Fantastics match is edited down to the same length as the WF Superstar squash match for some reason. Um, so it's 1-1 there. We have one person agree with you, and one person agree with me. Um, so, there we are. N- nothing uh, much conclusive. Um, it, an- another guy on that board, Killer 87 he says, uh, I have the pay-per-view of this show. He's talking about Great American Bash 88, um, and it's a great show, in his opinion. He's got the whole thing. He also agrees that the PWO board is funny, and that guys really break things down there. So, <laughs> that's what they're saying over at Kayfabe Memories. Um, and on uh, uh, PWO itself... Um, Ricky Jackson says he loved the musical tribute for Tully at the end. Did you hear that, uh, Chad? Have you got Yeah, that? I
0: enjoyed that. <laughs> that was kind of a nice surprise.
1: Yeah, I, I was pretty sad. It took me a good hour putting that together, which is pretty sad, but you know, um, it was four in the morning, so I have an excuse. Um, and uh, we also have uh, a little bit of a tidbit more on our, which really cool comments, Lila Zado update, because there's yet more on. Uh, Lyle Alzado. Brick Hithouse says, um, Howie Long roomed with Alzado in training camp in Long's rookie season, 81 or 82. Long always went to bed early and wasn't a partier. Alzado was a legendary carouser, but was cool and tried to adapt to Long's schedule. Long would be awoken every night and find Alzado sitting in bed wide awake, eating chocolate cake in the dark. <laughs> Long did not remember ever seeing Alzado sleep. And somehow, he says, that reminded me of the <laughs> story of the Ultimate Warrior not eating dessert, but instead crushing cookies and inhaling the aroma. <laughs> Have you heard about that story? <laughs> yes,
0: that is uh, pretty ridiculous, but it's kind of part <laughs> of the course for the Ultimate Warrior. So,
1: And then uh, our buddy Solomon comes in and says, yeah, Matt Millen had a story about how he was getting a haircut from Alzado's wife, and Lyle arrived and started getting physical with his wife, and Milan had to stop, uh, physically stop Alzado from abusing his wife. So, <laughs> more about the life and times of Lyle Alzado. So, if you have any more stories about Lyle Alzado, uh, you know, keep them coming in. So that's it for the comments. What, what do you think about this section, uh, Chad? Should we, uh, keep on doing it, or do you think it's a waste of time? <laughs>
0: I I mean, I like the comments for the uh, specific shows, especially uh, chiming in. I know we had a pretty uh, big disagreement on the first match, so it was nice to uh, get kind of some more conflicting viewpoints on that match. And I also uh, appreciate that people like the Meltzer tidbits that we had in because, uh, I mean, one of the purposes for me for this podcast is kind of a retrospective type uh, reviews of the shows. And we can kind of see, you know, obviously now we're all kind of part of a smart fan community uh, in present day. And we can kind of look back at Meltzer. And uh, once we start getting into some of the later years, I'm going to be looking at some of the Torch articles at the time. Uh, we can kind of see what the perception was in the times when the shows were actually taking place.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I'm interested to see is if if Meltzer does any U-turns, you know, like he's really down on Dusty Rhodes, and he has been for a couple of years. I'm wondering, like, does he ever start liking Rhodes again, or is he down on him for, for the rest of, uh... Did you, do you know, Chad, at all?
0: Yeah, as far as I know, uh... <laughs> I know Meltzer's pretty notoriously a... Uh, Pretty big detractor for Rhodes, so I can't see him uh, turning it around on his opinion. Any maybe, I mean, I guess maybe in the nineteen ninety four angle of uh, heading into War Games, uh, which I thought Dusty was very good in that. Yeah, but uh, I, I can only think that would be the only chance uh, that Dusty would have to sort of change Meltzer's opinion of him a little bit.
1: Well, speaking of uh, the Wrestling Observer and Meltzer, we actually have quite a bumper um, section of stuff from him now, because um, at this time, uh, which is kind of late summer 1988, there are a lot of things going on behind the scenes uh, in Jim Crockett promotions. Um, And I've just gone through uh, week by week, really, taking out the best uh, bits. So we start with the August 22nd um, Observer, and he says um, that there's a lot of worrying around uh, Crockett this week. That Arn Tully and Flair have indicated that they're all going to be history unless, quote, a specific change was made. Uh, more on what that change they were demanding was later. But can you make any guesses? <laughs> uh do not know. Okay. Well, I, I will reveal it as it as it comes up. Okay. August twenty ninth. Uh, it's coming down to the wire on the Turner deal, he says, which as of yet has not been completed. Steve Williams is in court for f- possession of cocaine on a flight to Tokyo. So, um, yeah, that's just a tip for the kids at home. If you're going to go to Tokyo, do not take three grams of cocaine with you. Um, September the 5th, uh newsletter. He says no update on the Turner deal, um, but there's a lot going on behind the scenes. He says that, should the deal happen, Dusty should remain as the booker, but his his effectiveness will be statistically monitored. Um, So I guess Turner maybe had Alexandra York on the books there, uh, keeping a note on how well the bookers were doing. There's also an update on uh, Steve Williams. He said that they found (laughs) in his bag on the way to the airport 3 grams of coke, 22 grams of marijuana, 2 grams of magic mushrooms, barbiturates, 241 steroid tablets, 28 milliliters of injectable steroids <laughs> shit um, but then he said that um, since this is his first time he probably won't have to go to jail <laughs> so there we are uh, Steve Williams in, in trouble at, at this point um, I guess that's not a lot of drugs for an 80's wrestler
0: well, that seems pretty stupid to me, <laughs> carrying that around, I don't know, no, but just, I kind of picture him with like a duffel bag with like a skull and crossbones on it or something, I don't know, that seems pretty uh, he was on excessive a, for a flight.
1: He was on a flight to Tokyo, I mean, Jesus. Uh. Yeah,
0: of all, of all the <laughs> countries, Japan uh, is probably not the best place to be smuggling drugs in to begin with, and to have that much and that uh, wide variety.
1: Do you think he was distributing them for Barber or something? Do you think maybe he'd he'd made a deal with uh, a bunch of guys back there, maybe Tenrio and Jumbo, uh, and that he was going to drop off some uh, pills for them or something? I don't know, that seems quite a lot just for him to have.
0: Crazy, but whatever.
1: Anyway, uh, Ronnie Garvin, uh, this is all in the same newsletter. Ronnie Garvin has quit JCP, uh, and Meltzer's pretty unhappy with the way that Dusty handled it on, on screen. Basically, they just said that Dusty beat him up and broke his ribs in a street fight, putting him out of action for six months. Um, but uh, Meltzer says that he's basically going to AWA and will be back on TV in one month, which is going to make Dusty look stupid in the wrong one because he's going to be shown up to be a liar. I can't argue with that. Um, although I, d- I thought Garvin went to WF at this point, but he must have had a short stint in, uh, AWA. Does he? I, uh... I, I didn't know that, yeah. I no.
0: kind of... I'll have to look that up.
1: He says, nonetheless, business remains generally great for the company, um, but the rumor mill is in overdrive because, uh, there's a sale. The sale is imminent. Um, and there's a lot of rumors about, like, guys quitting and, you know, everything's gonna change. We get to the September the 12th uh, newsletter and TBS are getting really frustrated now because the sale is still not, hap- not uh, happened. They want to sort everything out before launching the TNT network, apparently. In this same newsletter, he mentions that Billy Graham, or, uh, t- you know, where the big boys play legend Billy Graham, was terrible on commentary during the Summerslam 88 pay-per-view. He says on his best day, Graham is bad and he had his worst day here. He also complains that Ted DiBiase was basically squashed in the main event of uh, Summerslam 88. And uh, Just on the subject of Summerslam 88, I don't know uh, if you found this, but um, that was always the most difficult of any VHS to find. Uh, um, When I was collecting tapes uh, back in the day, Coliseum Home Video Summerslam 88, impossible to find. And also here in the UK, it was a um, had a 15 rating. All of the other tapes had like a PG, you know, parental guidance, or even a E for sports, uh, but that one had a 15 rating. And to this day, I can't really work out why. I, I can only imagine it was because um, Liz takes her skirt off during the um, main event. But yeah, you you seen that show, Chad? Summer Slam '88. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, here it was pretty uh, frequent. I mean, at, at my local video store, it was pretty easy to uh, to get. I don't, know, I don't know, for some reason, at my video store, the Survivor Series, uh, kind of like the 88, 89, 90 Survivor Series, uh, they rarely had those.
1: Uh, I, I have a feeling that there was something... Up- like you know when they do early runs of things i've got a feeling that here in the uk um that summer slam 88 was part of like the very earliest vhs run that they did um but like you, i was i was buying tapes on ebay and like i said before they typically went for like 5 pounds summer slam 88 used to fetch something like 25 30 pounds so it was kind of rare um uh, also, Jim Jimmy Garvin is injured, uh, and he needs knee surgery. So that's the last bit of uh, news there. Um, now, even though the clash uh, of the Champions 3 happened on uh, September the 7th, I'm just going to give you a bit from the September 19th, because this is where Arn and Tully uh, officially quit, uh, and they dropped the titles to the Midnight Express on their last night. Uh, apparently, that switch was unplanned. Uh, there was no TV present or AfterMag photographers. He says they're going to debut on the, uh, for the WF on October the 4th. And th- this is the reason that they've been th- threatening to quit for a long time. They basically wanted Dusty to be replaced as Booker. They were fed up of Dusty. Marty doesn't say why. He just says that they wanted Dusty and the Rhodes replaced. Um, they threatened that if uh, if you don't get rid of Dusty as the Booker, they're going to start Noah sh- showing shows. Um, Apparently Jim Crockett called their bluff on this, um, and when they didn't quit, obviously kept Dusty, uh, you know, nothing changed. Um, he also says that they didn't receive balloon payments in May, um, and now finally uh, they've decided to jump to Titan. Uh, Mouser says that this is basically disastrous, uh, because it destroys the Four Horsemen gimmick. Um, he says, ironically, the sale of Turner is uh, on the cusp of being completed now. And next week, he's going to do an article on how to save the NWA. We'll save that for the next show. But lots and lots going on uh, behind the scenes here in uh, Crockett at in, in this time period. Uh, any comments, Chad, before we move on to the show itself?
0: Uh, just real quickly, I looked up Ron Garvin on uh, Wikipedia. And uh, it does say, it, I'll just read it, So says, Still is a heel, Garvin wrestled in the AWA in late 1988 and uh, feuded with Greg Gagne over the AWA International Television Championship. And during that same time, he feuded with Carlos Colon uh, in WWC in Puerto Rico. So I guess he did have kind of a, probably around the six-month uh, detour mm. from Crockett to uh, WWL, where he was in the AWA in uh, Puerto Rico.
1: Kind of controversial getting Puerto Rico at that time as well. I know a lot of guys vetoed... Uh Basically boycotted that territory for after the Brody situation at that time. So, but I guess, I guess you got to go with a whoever's going to pay you, right? If you're Ronnie Um
0: Judging from the way he reacted to that suitcase of money, <laughs> uh, Great American Patch, it seemed like he would follow the money no matter where the uh, what the morals of the person that was paying him.
1: Actually, that's quite funny. That's the last time we saw Ronnie Garvin, going out with a big pile yeah, of money. Yeah, <laughs> his, his, his exit from the company
0: is him slyly, giddily uh, walking out with this uh, sack of money, kind of hilarious. But...
1: So, Clash of the Champions 3 happened at the Albany Civic Center, which is in Georgia. You ever been there,
0: Chad? Uh, I mean, I've been to the town. I've never been to the actual Civic Center. It's about a couple probably about two hours from where I live.
1: There were about 3,700 people there, and it did a 5.4 rating on TBS, um, which uh, old uh, Dave Meltzer tells us is about 4 million people. Um, And he says that... Oh, no, it's about 3 million people, but then it rose to 4 million at the main event. Um, And he says... Now, I I swear, this is deja vu, but again... Clash of the Champions outdrew the Braves versus the Giants. Um, is that the only match that happens in baseball? That was the same match as last time, wasn't it? Well, I don't know <laughs>
0: why he uh why he keeps talking about this, because I mean, as one one thing that was kind of weird and this may blow your mind part, but for a while, uh the the Atlanta Braves, which obviously is pretty close, I mean it's a South Georgia's a southeast state, but they were in the Western uh, baseball division,
1: right? Okay, with
0: the Giants and the Dodgers. So since they were in that division, they'd play those teams more. Uh, but I mean, if they were playing the Giants in San Francisco, those games weren't starting till uh, ten o'clock, ten thirty local time right so i i mean i don't I don't know about that, but i mean, and certainly with the way the braves were in nineteen eighty eight they were a terrible team anyway yeah so i i mean I don't think that that I don't understand why he's touting that as some great accomplishment
1: <laughs> okay um and this was september seventh eighty uh, eight um and as we start here, we get a very cheesy um kind of video package uh, mainly featuring Sting and then the word desire comes up on the screen desire and then it says longing for the unattainable then we get a clip uh, back to uh, March the 27th in Greensboro uh, of the Sting vs. Flair uh, match from Clash 1 then it says desire to be driven for what promises enjoyment or pleasure then we get a clip back to June the 8th, which is a great American bash in Miami, Um, desire to be a champion. Um, What Sting desires, we're told, is uh, Barry Windham's US title. Um, And then the voiceover says, no doubt it'll be a brawl, a fall brawl. So that is the tag of uh, the show, fall brawl. And that would uh, later become a pay-per-view, as we all know. Longing for the unattainable. March 27th, Greensboro, North Carolina. Sting gave the world heavyweight champion Ric Flair all that he could handle, only to lose in a controversial decision. Desire to be driven for what promises enjoyment or pleasure. June 8th, Miami, Florida. Sting teamed up with the American dream in an effort to form a tag team worthy to be champion, only to let it slip away. Desire to be a champion. Colorful, exceptional, graceful. Sting. Once again, the brass ring is offered. And once again, a mountain of a man, a horseman, stands between Sting and that which is desired. No doubt it'll be a brawl. A fall brawl. Commentators for the show are... Uh, Jim Ross and Bob Coddle. Um, so Kevin Sullivan and Mike Rotunda come out uh, to the Varsity Club music for the first match, which is for the TV title Mike Rotunda versus Brian Armstrong. Um, now, I'm not sure who this ring announcer is. Is it John Ayers?
0: I don't know. Yeah, I, d- I didn't recognize him. Um, I. Uh, I have no idea really. Yeah, well
1: he's not very good whoever he is. Um and uh I'm wondering if Tom Miller has actually gone for good now. Like he's been a That's what I was
0: thinking. I I was trying to kind of rack my brain to see if I remembered him uh beyond like uh, Clash 1 and I couldn't recall seeing him again so it may be uh he may be gone for good.
1: Yeah, cuz they're back in Georgia now, so there's no real excuse for him not to be there. Anyway, we get a kind of um, tentative amateur style start uh, here. We get Fireman's Carry Takeover by Rotunda, which is, I think, the standard shorthand for saying, I've got an amateur background, isn't it? That Fireman's Carry. Um, we get uh, a chop from Rotunda, an uppercut, two of them. Um, crossbody from the top, which is reversed into a two-count by Brad Armstrong. Um, rotunda Bales. Uh, We get another uh, near fall. Uh, Rotunda bales again. Uh, Now we go to our first break of the evening. And um, I started counting these because it seemed to me that on the Clash 3 show we were having a break basically every five minutes. Like, there were a lot of breaks on the show. Um, My version didn't have the actual commercials themselves. You'll be uh, glad to hear. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
0: well, I mean, just kind of quickly on that... I mean, I guess we can kind of talk about sort of the structure here, and there's a couple of annoying, really annoying breaks that we can talk to when we get to them in the specific matches. Oh, yeah. But uh, but this is sort of the third clash in a row where they've had a different style to the broadcast. Uh, the first clash kind of showed the intros and the matches straight through and then did a break. The second clash... If you remember they yeah. had the intros and then backstage segments or commercials while the people were in the ring yeah uh, and now this this clash had a ton of breaks actually in the action uh, while action was going on so that was kind of strange and that in the first three classes they really broadcasted it in three different ways yeah,
1: the weirdest thing is that they're all different lengths as well. It's like there's no standard length of a clash show. Yeah, I don't,
0: I don't, I don't know what the time window was. Uh, whether it was like a three-hour or two and a half hour, or even this show may have been a uh, two-hour window because the tape's only an hour and fifteen minutes, and all the commercials are cut out. Uh, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's kind of kind of weird.
1: So, so we come back from the break with Rotunda on top. Um, he throws him outside for Sullivan to get a cheap shot in. Um we get uh I think this is a pretty slow match so far. We get a chin lock from Rotunda. Uh Armstrong does a lot to sell sell this uh chin lock. Ross uh says that this is great officiating by six time referee of the year, Tommy Young, which is a line that he keeps using. Who's giving out these awards? Is it APTA? Who who gave him the six time?
0: PWR had a uh I, I would assume it was after. Um, yeah. I can look that up while you keep talking.
1: So We get some uppercuts from Rotunda, which gets a two count. Another chin lock. The crowd is uh, still into this match as as Armstrong comes back. Uh, we get a flying clothesline from Rotunda, uh, which would be his finisher later on in his career as a IRS. That's probably one of the better moves that Rotunda does, actually, that flying clothesline. That gets a two. Uh, at this point, we get a third break now. Um, Steve Williams is out, and he's uh, cheering Brad Armstrong on. We get an airplane spin from Rotunda, um, but he's dizzy himself, so he falls down. Um, Now, Jim Ross is going into overdrive on commentary about Brad Armstrong's heart. He says, have you ever seen anyone with heart like Armstrong? Um, My immediate reaction was, yes, any babyface I've ever seen. Uh, We get a side gut wrench suplex from Rotunda, a small package gets two, Uh, we get a big right hand, Uh, we're told that there's 50 seconds left, there's a series of near falls uh, from Rotunda now, 20 seconds, Um, the basic story here: Rotunda is trying to put Brad Armstrong away but he can't do it, he gets a close line, another two count, Armstrong keeps kicking out and uh, the time runs out and it's a time limit draw, Ross and Coddle make a massive deal. Uh, Brad going the distance with the TV champion. Um, no. I didn't like this match at all. I thought it was boring. What did you think, Chad? Uh,
0: just real quickly, uh, according to Wikipedia, it doesn't look like that PWI does have a Referee <laughs> of the Year award. So, I'm, I mean, who knows? This may have just been a uh, WCW magazine or NWA magazine or Ross could have been talking out of his ass. If you know (laughs) the answer, uh, please let us know who actually gave him that award because it is something (laughs) that Ross kind of goes back to constantly with Tommy Young-officiated matches. Uh, I thought this match was really slow. I, I keep thinking maybe when I go back and watch Rotunda matches that I'll appreciate the wrestling more. Uh, even though I've always thought his characters were kind of bland now I you know obviously as I' matured as a wrestling fan I'll concentrate more on the actual uh, wrestling moves but I just find him as under the definition of an adequate wrestler where he's hmm. not uh, not terrible but not exciting at all and this match sort of played along with those lines where it didn't outright piss me off but I did think it was very boring.
1: Um, now, now with just this, didn't do a lot for me. Would this be the time to tell you, I wonder, that when I was about 10 years old, I had a big briefcase that I took to school with me, and everybody else had a, like a, a backpack, basically, but I had a briefcase. <laughs> and uh, this was around the time that Money, Inc. were tag champs. And uh, you can imagine that I used this briefcase um, basically to whack people with... Um, as if I was IRS. <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean,
0: I mean, as as uh, listeners will know, I'm an accountant. Uh, <laughs> that's my profession, and I don't I don't work for the IRS, but I do work for the state government. Uh, so, I certainly, when I've watched kind of the uh, the IRS vignettes that he did, where he had the tax codes and just his demeanor, uh, there's there's definitely. Uh, still a good many of those that work in my office currently. Uh, so I can kind of get a chuckle out of that. But just his in-ring work, um, I mean, his mat wrestling, which I really like mat wrestling. I know I like mat wrestling more than you, yeah. uh, Parf, but, uh But his is mostly kind of chin locks or kind of more rest holes that don't seem to lead anywhere. No, uh, and and you got that here. I, I mean, I just thought this was very dry and wasted a lot of time, and in the end, wasn't really worth it. The crowd, though, to me, was kind of surprisingly uh, hot. Yeah, they for the, were.
1: The they were really into this match. Rather controversially, I I think that uh, Rotunda's peak is a uh, is the IRS character, and I'll tell you why. It's because in WF, he isn't allowed to do much of that mat work uh, that you're talking about that boring mat work. Um, so, I mean, he still does the chin locks and things, but he's only allowed to, you know, because of the WF style, he's only allowed to sit in them for, like, a minute or two minutes maximum, um, which means we get more, kind of, strikes and flying clotheslines and things from him. I mean, he's still not brilliant, um, but at least I think he's at his most washable, um, as IRS. Also, um, whenever he, he did that spot where, uh, somebody would step on his tie, Bobby Heenan would say he's stepping on his tongue. His tongue, I did like that.
0: (laughs) Um, I mean, I guess the only other thing with this match is I kind of thought it was a little hollow with how big of a moral victory they were trying to kind of drum up for Armstrong just to survive the time limit. I mean, even in the end, he was practically on the ropes, you know. He was barely kicking out of pinfalls from Rotundo as the, uh, as the time limit expired. And it wasn't like uh, Armstrong was kind of this nobody that was never on TV. So I thought that was sort of strange how they uh, really, Ross tried to hype it up as this big moral victory for him just to survive the time limit.
1: Yeah, and I've just written here massive overselling on commentary, um, which is like, I mean, w- when he said um have you ever seen anyone with heart like this? I mean I d I dunno. I actually thought that um Ross and Coddle together were, were kind of like they shill quite a lot. I don't know whether this was uh you know, a new direction that the company was taking, but there was a lot of overselling on commentary. Not just on in this match but in general, um on on this particular clash show. Um Anyway, we go to our fourth break in 15 minutes at this point. Um, and when we come back, um, it, it's a special challenge tag match. Uh, basically, the Sheepherders versus Nikita Koloff and Steve Williams. Uh, Rip Morgan is still with the Sheepherders. Um, I don't really like this ring, an- ring announcer a lot, um, whoever he is. Now, the story going into this is that um, Arn and Tully. Um, and the Midnight Express are basically feuding at this point over who is the best tag team, which um, sounds bizarre on paper because they're traditionally two heel teams. Um, and basically, the winner of this match is going to be touted as in contention for being, you know, the number three tag team, uh, which I found hard to believe with the row Warriors still 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 at large. Um, but uh, there we go. So th- they were basically trying to hype the significance of this match as being, you know, another good team in contention for the tag belts type thing. Um, Williams is on fire to start. Uh, Ross says that the faces uh, need uh, to wrestle here, not brawl, because the Sheep are brawlers. We get a football tackle from Williams. Um, We uh, have more tackles from Williams as well. Uh, What else happens? Um, Nikita and Butch... uh, come into the ring now. Um, Nikita's still pretty over with the crowd, I noticed. Bob Coddle says, when you talk about the technical aspects of wrestling, Nikita has really come a long way in a short amount of time. I couldn't disagree more with uh, Bob Coddle there. I think he's um, gone backwards in the past uh, year quite a lot. The Sheepers are on top now, but Nikita uh, comes back with uh, an arm wrench. Um, He tags Williams in, he clotheslines Luke, Uh, we get suplex, crossbody from the top, Nikita comes in uh, with some clubbing blows, Williams is back in uh, with a pretty sloppy arm drag uh, in my opinion, Um, he works on the arm a bit more now, Uh, Koloff comes back in, he leg drops the arm, Um, some more uh, Nikita arm work now. Which I'm uh, crazy about, as you know. We get some. Uh, they keep on calling Luke Williams on this show "crazy Luke Williams," uh, which is a name I ha- haven't heard before. He tries going to the eyes. Um, he gets a drop kick. Ross hypes how much Nikita has improved uh, as, as well. And uh, yet again, I disagree with the commentary team here. And we got our fifth break in 25 minutes. Um, as we come back from the break. Um, Williams is hulking up and no-selling Luke's punches. Bush uh, sneak attacks in from behind. Ross talks about the battle for supremacy between Arn and Tully and the Midnights. And uh, I basically can't believe that we're watching this match when that feud was going on. Why didn't we get Arn and Tully versus the Midnights rather than uh, what we're seeing here? Um, we get a clothesline from Nikita on Butch. Um, but he gets a flagpole from Rip Morgan. From the outside, uh, that's where the action goes. Nikita gets posted, Butch uh, posts posts him, uh, they get back in the ring. We get a body slam uh, from Butch and a diving headbutt, uh, a snap mare, which gets a two count. Luke comes in, he spits at Williams, uh, double clothesline on Nikita from the sheep herders now. Um, I've just written at this point that I've never been less emotionally invested in a match than this. I don't know if I was in a bad mood or whether this is just a terrible match, but I literally couldn't care what was happening in the ring at this point. Um, the sheepherders keep uh, working Nikita over with their standard offence. Uh, we get a sleeper by Butch. Uh, Nikita knocks him to the outside. Rip Morgan pokes uh, Williams with a flagpole. So when Nikita goes for the tag, there's nobody there. Butch... Butch misses a head headbutt, uh, Nikita gets a tag, Williams goes for a gorilla press, but uh, Luke trips him, and then, out of nowhere, Nikita gets the sickle on Butch uh, for th- for the three count. Now I hate it, and I cannot stress how much I hated this match. Chad, what did you think of it? <laughs> uh,
0: a, f- a few things here. One, um, this was one of the commercial breaks that I was talking about, because literally... 10 seconds after Williams gets posted and you think they're going to start to go to the heat, they cut the break, uh, and then you come back with him no-selling, getting punched right in the face, which infuriated me. Uh, Two, Williams has an absolutely dreadful rat tail, (laughs) uh, kind of haircut going on right here, which just looks awful. And three... How many times is Nikita going to get posted? It seems like in every match. I mean, I, I love the bumps that Nikita takes into the post and the guardrail. Like, I think that's one of the things he takes best because they look very impactful. But it seems like in every match, his arm and shoulder is getting rammed into the post or the guardrail.
1: Yeah. What? Uh, I, I've got a feel I got a feeling that the, the main reason for that is because um, that's just a spot he can do you know
0: yeah I mean I, I, I guess so because we see it every match he's in uh, this match was pretty dreadful uh, very long uh, really not a lot to say its except that it sucked and then the finish is literally a hot tag and a sickle and that's it uh, so I, I think it's in many ways, kind of the less said about this match, the better. Just way too long and boring and annoying.
1: Oh, well, I, I'm glad you agree with me there, because I, I was worried that uh, my hatred was going to be, uh, you know... I, I thought you would have liked some aspect of it that I don't understand, but um, clearly not. One thing I was going to say, um, and I, I don't want to preempt the uh, initial awards here, but, like, Steve Williams, man, what is it about him? I, I, I just don't like this guy. He's crap. He doesn't do he anything. Is, yeah, he has not had
0: a uh, a very good tenure so far in WCW, uh, NWA. In fact, I, I really didn't realize it was this bad, because I knew, like, Williams was somebody that kind of blossomed later on in his career. Uh, but, I mean, even... Now, I mean, obviously, in Japan, he was facing some great competition. When you're facing, you know, Toshiaki Kawada, Mitsuharu Masawa, uh, Stan Hansen, Kenta Kabashi, these are some of the best wrestlers of all time. Yeah. But, I mean, when I watch Williams in these matches from, I mean, early as 1990, he has a great match with Hansen. I mean, he holds his end of the bargain. And we have not seen any evidence so far in these shows of him doing that uh, in NWA.
1: No, well, I, I'm glad to agree, I'm glad to agree with me there because I mean Williams to me always feels like one of these sacred cows. Like, and I mean it's, it's just one of those things. I've never seen him have a good match. And I, I'm probably watching the wrong stuff. Um, but uh, you know, he certainly hasn't done it here. And I, I didn't really uh, like the UWS stuff of his I've seen yet either. So I'm guessing he's just somebody who comes into his own in the 90s.
0: Yeah, yeah. I, I definitely, I mean, I really, I know there's a lot of tags in 92 that I like uh, when he teams with Gordy. Uh, just in WCW, so I'm hoping those will hold up.
1: Yeah, well, we may get some, because I, from my memory of it, it's been a couple of years now, but when we get to those 92 matches, all I remember is a lot of really boring rest holds, <laughs> especially, I'm, I'm just thinking of, um, what's that card that uh, Jim Ross and Bill Watts booked? It was a Great American Bash 92.
0: Well, yeah, that that's the tag tournament, There's so a that's lot,
1: There's a lot of laying around on the mat on that particular show that I can remember, but... Um, you know, it's been a few. Maybe I've developed as a fan since then as well, so I may have a different, uh, uh, a different take on it. Anyway, um, where were we? Uh, we come back from the break, um, and it's going to be Dusty Rhodes versus Kevin Sullivan, who's managed by Gary Hart. And one of the things I was thinking here is Kevin Sullivan is the manager of Mike Rotunda, but Gary Hart is the manager of Kevin Sullivan. That's pretty unusual uh, situation there i don't know how that like why wasn't gary hart also the manager of rotunda
0: yeah th- that was that was uh, kind of weird that like Sullivan sort of had his own faction really in the varsity club but when he comes out as a singles gary hart's his manager kind of weird
1: yeah and uh, it and but it's almost it's, it's almost like you know, we kind we kind of forget about the fact he's in the Varsity Club while he's in this match type thing. Um, anyway, uh, Dusty uh gets the better uh, of the opening here. Uh, the action goes to the outside quickly. Um, oh yeah, I should have mentioned that the angle is that um, remember I mentioned that Jimmy Garvin was uh, injured. Well, Kevin Sullivan, ho- um, the angle was that he hospitalized Jimmy Garvin with a pair of bricks. Um, which uh, explained the injury. And um, since uh, Ronnie Garvin had bailed, uh, Dusty Rhodes was the man uh, who was going to fight for Jimmy Garvin's uh, honour. Um, and it's mentioned that these two have signed a, a big dog-collar match, uh, which is going to happen, I believe, at Starcade. Is that right? They, they kept on talking about a dog-collar match. And I'm guessing they were talking about it Between
0: Garvin and Sullivan?
1: Uh, I think... I I assumed it was between Dusty and Sullivan, but uh, that can't no, be. No,
0: well, I can I can tell you that uh, I know for a fact Dusty does not face Sullivan at Starcade. He has another big angle that yeah. we'll get to when we get there.
1: No, that that's right. I uh, I just figured that I can't be that. Okay. Um. Well, anyway, there's a there's a dog collar match involving Kevin Sullivan uh, down the pike. Um. Dusty uh, slams Sullivan, as I mentioned, um, and then he hits his head into the announce table four or five times, which sounded pretty nasty. Uh, He slaps Gary Hart, and the fans cheer. Sullivan uh, um, has basically like one of those things that you, um, like a window squidgy, I don't know what you call them, where you, uh, you know, the things that you'd use to um, clean your car windscreen. Um, Gary Hart complains that he was uh, doing nothing and that Dusty nailed him. Um, Ross mentions that Dusty Rhodes is a 292 pounder uh, which means he's up 10 pounds from uh, Great American Bash uh, so he's putting on a lot of weight as, uh, 19, as uh, 1988 goes on um, Dusty is outside now and Gary Hart nails him uh, with a shoe um, Sullivan's on top uh, for the next uh, segment and he gets a chin lock on um, we get a big dusty charm from the crowd Sullivan hits a Uh, has a metal spike and nails Dusty with it, uh, which gets a one count. Sullivan chokes Dusty now, but Dusty comes back with uh, jiving and bionic elbows. He goes for the cover. Gary Hart pulls him out. Al Perez is here, um, and he's got the dog collar with him. um, And uh, they start double-teaming Dusty. Uh, There's a really awkward crossbody from Dusty now. And uh, it really looked ugly to me, this crossbody. And he kind of gets both. Um, he gets both Perez and Sullivan with it. Gary Hart is in, Dusty pins him, and the ref counts three, uh, and the bell goes. So he pinned the manager, but the ref counted it anyway, and the bell goes. What the flying fuck was that?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think with the, the crossbody, what Dusty, what they were trying to do is Sullivan and Perez had the chain, and we're going to clothesline him, so... Dusty kind of cross-bodied the chain, uh, which created sort of like a pulley uh, that pulled in Perez and Sullivan, Right, and they collided together. It it looked terrible, Um, and then he rolls up Gary Hart for the pin, which, of course, I absolutely hated. I thought that was just one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. Made no sense. Uh, first off, why did we not get a disqualification? I mean, Perez one is literally on the outside, slamming Dusty with a chain uh, in view of Tommy Young. He physically gets in the ring as Tommy Young counts him. I, I don't know uh, how that any of this was not a disqualification. And then we get a pinfall on a manager. So that that pretty much made. This, I mean, I thought this match was a, another shit show that just was terrible. Uh, we five minutes long, and that still consumed of about two minutes of a Sullivan headlock. Uh, he had this like weird spike that they kept passing back and forth, and
1: pretty plain view, just a dumb match all around that I hated. Yeah, and uh, Meltzer gave this one and a half stars. Um and he, as you can imagine, he absolutely hates the Gary Hart business as well. I hated it too.
0: That, that's one and a half more than me. I mean, I, I honestly think this may be one of my least favorite matches we've seen.
1: But it's, This really brought a lot of venom
0: for me. Uh, I mean, really the finish, but before that, I didn't think anything was very good either.
1: I've just noticed he gave the, uh, the Nikita... Williams, uh, cheap it has matched three and a half, three and a quarter stars. Oh, and he says that, um, the finish didn't build as it came from nowhere, but so what? It was a real good match. I can't understand that at all. Like, t- yeah. t- t- to me, I was probably more entertained by that match, uh, by the Dusty Sullivan match than I was by the, the, the Williams, uh, Nikita match. Um, e- even though there was a lot of bullshit and crap in there as well.
0: Yeah, um, uh, I mean, I'm the other way around. But uh, I mean, for the show, we're zero for three, so we're not <laughs> off to a good start. Yeah, anyway.
1: Clash Three is not uh, not going over well. Um, yeah, uh, Welter's also questioning why Gary Hart was in Sullivan's corner. He says, "Doesn't Hart manage Al Perez and Sullivan manage the Varsity Club?" That wasn't explained either. So we we both picked up on that. I I didn't actually realize that Gary Hart was managing Sullivan full time here.
0: What did uh, Meltzer give the opener?
1: Uh, Let me have a quick look. Um, Two and three quarters.
0: Uh, I figured it'd be kind of hovering around that, which I think that's generous. It was just a boring match.
1: Uh, One one thing I didn't mention, that as as this match finishes, Dusty climbs over the railings and goes and sits in the crowd, (laughs) which uh, I thought was bizarre. Yeah, I mean,
0: it was kind of like he was sort of, uh, kind of escaping from all the heels, but then he goes sits in the crowd, and a couple of kids kind of plop down in his lap like he's Santa or something, and that was kind of weird too.
1: So, so we, go to, we go to another break now, our seventh break in forty-one minutes I counted, um, and this is quite interesting. We have a Russian chain match featuring Ricky Morton against Ivan Koloff in a singles match. Right? I think this is interesting because these are two guys who we've seen basically in 90% of all their matches. Um, not only are they working tag matches, but basically mo- both of them are doing most of the selling in those matches as well. So I'm kind of, I'm kind of excited to see um, both of these guys in a singles match as this was starting out. Because um, basically both guys would have to do some offense, right? Um, And also, like, I can't really recall any Ivan singles matches that we've seen. Ivan starts out on top uh, with some kicks and punches. Um, Jim Ross says that Morton is uh, going, basically doing this for his dad, who is unwell. Did I hear that right? Yes. Um, And that Ivan has a lot riding on this match, too. Um, Apparently, Paul Jones has said that he needs to prove himself. Jim Ross says that that is ludicrous. I do, too. And I also smell a face turn coming. Um, a mile off here. Um, Coddle says that Paul Jones uh, has mentioned that Ivan was the weak link uh, in the army. Um, anyway, Koloff is choking Morton, but uh, goes through. Uh, but Morton goes through Ivan's legs. Um, Ivan gets back on top. Morton is outside, and they have a tug of war. Uh, Ross and Coddle are really taking. A, basically, they're really talking Ivan up a lot here as the king, the master of the Russian chain match and uh, how much he's the overwhelming favourite here. Um, Ivan drags Morton to the uh, two turnbuckles but Morton comes back uh, with a kick. Ross says that this is Morton's first chance to show what he's made of uh, as a singles competitor on primetime TV. Ivan goes uh, to the top rope but Morton pulls him off. We get our eighth break in 47 minutes. As we come back Morton uh, is dragging Ivan uh, to two corners. He gets to the third. The crowd erupts uh, as uh, he aims for the fourth. Ivan grabs the bottom rope to block it. Uh, Jones starts helping Ivan out. So, if you can imagine, he's got his cane there, and he's pulling on it. Morton's kind of pulling the other way, trying to get to the fourth turnbuckle. But Jones, uh, for whatever reason, lets go of the cane, or it slips loose, um, and Morton gets to the fourth turnbuckle. the assassin, uh, the Russian assassin is out and he, uh, he throws Morton to the floor. Um, Jones and Koloff are arguing now. And then uh, Ivan finally snaps and nails Jones, completing the face turn that I uh, predicted was going to happen. The Russian assassin jumps Ivan now. And another masked Russian guy comes in and attacks him um, for a three-on-one beatdown. They close line him with a chain. Jones stomps on him. Uh, and they were really doing a number on Ivan Koloff here. Jones barks orders. Um, I noticed a big Nikita chan from the crowd here, so I think they were—they really wanted Nikita to come and make the save, um, unless I was mishearing that. And annoyingly, at this point, we get another break on 9th and 51 minutes. Um, as we come back, it's Sting versus Barry Windham, and I've just written in my notes, "What the hell happened to Ivan? They aren't even going to mention it." And they don't for the rest of the show. So, Chad, first of all, thoughts on that break and then thoughts on the match. Uh,
0: The break was definitely kind of weirdly placed and annoying. uh, Where, yeah, Ivan was just sort of getting beaten down. And we don't know if anybody made the save or not when we come back. Uh, The matches itself was the best, uh, I think, that we've seen so far tonight. Uh, That's kind of faint praise, though. Um, and I didn't think the match was very good um, It was just kind of Decent uh, Some kind of decent type Strap or chain match uh, Kind of protocols were being used uh, Which that's actually kind of a gimmick match I usually enjoy a decent bit Actually I think I may like That kind of gimmick match uh, To touch all four corners Better than most um, And this was okay But nothing extraordinary
1: no, I basically agree with that. <clears throat> yeah, d- not too much to add to to that. Um, it was good to see Ivan in a singles match, I thought. Um, and I quite like the idea of him as a babyface, to be honest. Um, even if it does mean more Paul Jones. And... Um, yeah, I didn't... I think this may be one of the last times we see Ricky Morton for a while. Because, um... If I'm not mistaken, he leaves shortly after this, uh, not long after at all, like a, about a week or so later. Um, so, yeah, that's a kind of weird way for Ricky Morton to go out. Uh, yeah,
0: this, this uh, I'm pretty sure this is it till uh, 1990 for uh, Hillmore or Robert Gibson. So, I mean, I think if you cared. About Ivan and Paul Jones and the Russian deal, it was kind of cool, and you got some development, and finally a face turn for Ivan. I, I mean, I, I mean, it was kind of nice to see, but I wasn't that emotionally invested in it, oh. so it sort of was a little flat
1: for me. Yeah, who, who was this other Russian? I don't know. I was going to
0: ask you that because I, I didn't realize uh, who this guy was.
1: No, I, I I didn't. Meltzer doesn't really mention him. Uh, well, if he does, I didn't. I missed it. So yeah, maybe you can look that up as we go into the last match here. Okay. So th- this is for the U.S. title. Uh, Wyndham is with J.J. Dillon, of course. Um, we get an arm drag by Sting to start. Um, Wyndham and Sting go nose to nose with some drawing at, at each other. Uh, we get a co- elbow and collar tie up. Uh, there's lots of crisscrossing now, um, and a really high jump by Sting, um, right over Wyndham's head. Like, the way I was looking at it, he jumped literally right over Wyndham's head, and Wyndham's at, like, at least 6'5", or something, so that was a pretty impressive jump. Um, Sting gets the better of it, and uh, Wyndham bails. Um, we get a belly-to-back uh, from Wyndham, a drop kick from Sting. We get our tenth break now, in 56 minutes. As we come back, there's a standoff. Um, Windham uh, gains advantage, Sting gets an inverted atomic drop, a high back body drop, we get four punches in the corner, uh, he drives uh, Barry's head into the mat, we get a slam from Sting, uh, he misses an elbow drop, uh, Windham kicks him in the leg uh, and knee Sting's ribs, he throws him outside, we get a big right hand, an eye gouge, a gut punch, uh, the action is still outside, we get a slam to the concrete. A suplex into the ring from uh, Windham and a nice one, a power slam. Now I, I just paused here and said that this power slam is not as good in my view as Ted DiBiase's power slam, or as Animal from the Road Warriors' power slam. It's just not as perfect looking for me. It's kind of a, a little bit on the wonk. Um, would you agree with that? That Wyndham's power slam isn't as good as those two guys. Um, I
0: mean, I, I definitely like um. D.B.I.C.'s power slam, I I think, I mean, especially here, uh, Wyndham's power slammed. it looked kind of, I guess, maybe mechanical might be the word for it, where it looked like it had sort of three parts that he had to go through the move. You know, it wasn't one fluid motion. Yeah. uh, So that kind of hurt it. But, I I mean, I thought it looked not terrible, but not, you know, in the upper echelon of power slams either.
1: We get an inside cradle out of nowhere by Sting for two. Uh Wyndham misses a turnbuckle spot, tumbles to the outside. Uh, Sting slams his head into the table. Um and he falls over the railings. Sting bites Windham's head. We get a back rake. Um and I've just written here that there are shades of the heel Hogan, but not when Hogan is Hollywood Hogan, but when Hogan is, you know, yellow red and yellow Hulk Hogan as a face, but is kind of like doing dirty tactics. Do you know what I mean by that? Yeah, I, I don't
0: know. I, I kind of <laughs> just, I don't know. I, I sort of didn't mind it, though, because it showed aggression. Whereas yeah. sometimes I think in some ways with Hogan, it sort of looked like he was being a dick to be a dick. But I can kind of see what you're saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, we get a big right hand now. Drop kicks in, Wyndham uh, outside, a sleeper. Um, he says that Dusty Rhodes is teaching him uh, the move. Um, and he has it on for some time. Wyndham gets a knee breaker, uh, on to break it, um, Wyndham targets that leg now, which has been injured. We get a figure four, he uses the second loop for, for re- leverage, J.J. Dillon, uh, is there to lend a hand too, Tommy Young breaks the hold, um, after spotting, uh, J.J. Dillon, we get a big belly to back suplex from Wyndham, uh, Sting comes back, uh, with big leg, um, so sorry, Sting comes back, but his leg is still hurt. We get a vertical suplex from him now. Wyndham uh, has the claw on the pecs, shades of uh, the great Kabuki, um, and I think that uh, this this hold, the, the claw on the pectorial, is the worst hold in pro wrestling history. Um, Sting changes the momentum and gets a high body drop. We get an elbow drop, an arm drag, a ref bump. Uh, Tommy Young gets the um, goes all the way to the outside. Uh, we get Stinger Splash now, and I noticed that Jim Ross actually called it the Stinger Splash, uh, I think, for the first time that we've heard. We get a Scorpion Deathlock. Uh, Dylan comes in with a chair. Sting goes after him. Wyndham uses the chair on Sting. Um, Young goes to Count. Uh, but Big John Ayres <laughs> comes in now and stops the Count. He pulls Windham off. Sting, Sting wins by DQ. Um, Dylan is irate and Jaws uh, John Ayres. Uh, who pushes Dylan away. Um, Dylan then kind of begs off. We get an abrupt finish as we go off air. <laughs> and that's it. Um, I didn't even get any credits on mine. Now Who, who is this John Ayers chap, uh, Chad? Is this another...
0: Former football player, yeah. <laughs> um, I, but, uh, I mean, I guess they were really trying to tie that in at this time. Um, I, I mean, this match, I think, is clearly the best match on the show. Uh, but, I, I, I mean, I didn't think it was great. I thought it was good. Uh, kind of close to very good. Uh, I did like the claw on the pet, though, actually. <laughs> and uh, I did... The one thing that I liked about that was the commentary uh, during that, um, talking about how... If it had been applied on the head, Sting would have submitted. And I did think Wyndham, at least with that, did a good job of really burying his fingers. Um, All you could see would be his gloves. So his actual fingers, uh, the way he hit them, did look like they were really kind of buried into Sting's uh, pec muscle. Uh, So I thought he applied that well. The action on this was pretty good. Sting uh, still seems a little anxious. In moments, uh, and and there's a couple of instances where I don't think he does himself any favors, like uh, Wyndham, in one point, he's trying to go over the top rope with his momentum, so he's kind of flailing on the top rope, and Sting, you know, blatantly kind of helps him over the top rope, which should have been a disqualification going by the rule books. Uh, And so there's still Sting's kind of trying to put everything together. Yeah, uh, but I th- I, th- I thought Wyndham held the match together pretty well, and uh, it was a good match. Definitely, just not really a classic or anything.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I probably liked this a little bit less than you did, um, but I don't really know why. There wasn't anything actively bad there, and I I kind of found myself uh, enjoying it. But I don't know, there was something kind of missing there. I guess in my mind, the the match that Sting and Barry Wyndham would have is probably better than this, um, but I, I kind of agree with you that Sting's not quite there yet, um, in some ways. I noticed that Meltz is um, very, very down on John Ayres, um, quite a bit more than either of us have been. He says that John Ayres, I know he's a nice guy and he's Dusty's friend. When it comes to pro wrestling, Big John has the reverse Midas touch. He says Everything he touches or talks about turns to you-know-what. It also makes the NWA look cheap when they try and hype him as this former pro superstar. While he was a starter for many years, including on a Super Bowl winner, he was the least known player on the team. He was not Lyle Alzado, or Conrad Dobler, or Alex Carras or any kind of an ex-NFL lineman terror who had a celebrity name recognition. I understand the story they were trying to get across, that, as a ref, he won't get bumped like Tommy Young always does. But this doesn't sell tickets, so why give him two interviews and a main event running while leaving virtually all of your leading attractions who can sell tickets? Luger, The Midnights, Cornet, Flair, The Road Warriors, Fantastics, so Arn and Tully, off the card. So that's uh, what he has to say about John Ayres. Um, so less of a star than Lyle Alzado. You you know anything about John Ayres other than the... Would you agree with that? He's not a big star.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've never heard of him, so uh, that doesn't bode too well for his stardom. What did uh, Meltzer end up rating the last two matches?
1: He gave uh, he gave the chain match two stars, um, and then um, he said he probably he's gonna he would add another half for the post match stuff, and he said that uh, the main event is three and a quarter.
0: That seems fair to me.
1: Which, um... Yeah, so... Should we go into our, uh... Th- th- this is not a great show. I think we can both agree on that.
0: Yeah, this was a really bad show. And, I mean... Obviously, they were... Really, uh... I mean, even though... Arn and Tully, for sure, are gone a few days from here... You could tell they were nervous about Full air too, Uh, because they held off... All three of them from this show. Uh... Also held off the midnights, which i don't understand why they couldn't have put together a match for them, even the Midnights versus williams and uh and Nikita I think would have been better than what we got, so a pretty bad show
1: so, so so match of the night for you uh i I guess there's no question of it uh from your point of view. what have you gone for?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, in some ways I think it's by default, but I, I picked Sting and uh, Barry Wendell.
1: Well, I have picked Ivan Koloff versus Ricky Morton, um, partly for the novelty factor, partly because I liked seeing Ivan turn face, um, and I thought that the post-match stuff was quite good. I would have loved to have known what happened after then, as we went to the break, um, and none of it was explained, but... Um, mainly for the angle, um, and whatnot, I've gone for Koloff versus uh, Ricky Morton. Um, and it's also partly because, like I said, I expect Wyndham versus Sting to be a better match than that, than what we got here. Um, so yeah, controversially I've gone with, uh, Ivan Koloff versus Ricky Morton, um, which says, I guess, a lot about this card, that a match that isn't very good, (laughs) um, is, is my pick. Is kind of the it was the most entertaining match out of a pretty bad bunch for me. MVP.
0: Um I'm gonna go with Barry Wendham for that. Um kind of what I said in the comments. I thought he held the main event together pretty well. Uh I know in the last podcast we talked about him sort of delivering a good performance. Um and while I don't think like he was delivered, you know, kind of a best worker in the world, or top North American worker in the world performance in this match. I thought he did a good job kind of reigning in Sting in certain instances.
1: I'd agree with that, and I've also picked Wyndham as my MVP. Um, I thought he was good in the match, but I think Sting did enough to, I don't know, he just wasn't... I don't know what it is, I can't really put my finger on it, but there's something something not quite right with that match. Um, I did enjoy the um a lot of Wyndham's offense again, you know he he's very smooth uh, in the way that he does a lot of things. I can't argue with that and Billy Graham award
0: uh, my Billy Graham's gonna be dusty. Uh, <laughs> I thought the finish of his match with Sullivan was terrible. I thought the match was terrible. Uh, I mean, and again, I think some of the backstage stuff I kind of throw on top of that, too, uh, where this card was really awful, and I blame a lot of that on the Booker, which was still Dusty at this time.
1: Is that like the second or third time in a row you've picked Dusty now? No. I, th- I, th- I,
0: know it's, I know I picked him last show, um, and now I also picked him at the Bunkhouse Stampede. Yeah, uh, I mean, to me, he's had a real rough 1988. He, I just feel like his time has definitely passed uh, as a worker, as a booker, and, uh, I mean, his matches in some ways aren't, I mean, the the, the finish of the match uh, for this show didn't make any sense. Like, I, I cannot understand an argument where that finish makes sense. <laughs> Uh, uh,
1: so I can't get behind that. If if he's real-life friends with John Ayers, I guess that explains it. Um, but, you know, he's trying to sell tickets here, so I don't really know what he's doing putting his friends in uh, main event spots like that. Um, my Billy Graham Award winner is Steve Williams. I just think he sucks. Um, and uh, I thought he was sloppy in that match. He didn't bring anything to it. He was outworked by Nikita Koloff, of all people. Like, I just... I don't know. Um, like, the, the sheep herders are just going to do what they're going to do, aren't they? Um, so it's up to whoever they're against to make the most of it. And I just didn't see anything from Steve Williams um, to bring that ma- match up above, you know, anything that you'd hope for. So, mm, worst worker on a pretty bad card, I thought. Um, I I was also contemplating going for one of the commentators as well, because both Coddle and Ross kind of irritated me throughout this show, Um, which which is not something I can usually say for Jim Ross. I I really like him in this period, but um, an off night for him. I don't think Bob Coddle brings the best out of him. He works much better with Tony, I think. Would you agree with that?
0: Um, I mean, I don't know. I think Ross really... The more I see of Ross, the more... I'm kind of perplexed by him in this time because there's some matches where I think he's absolutely fabulous uh, we'll be coming up on one of those yeah. shortly in our reviews and uh, and then there's a lot of stuff that he does that annoys me so it's kind of he's either really cold or really hot in my eyes
1: no I, I'm, I'm kind of with you there there was, there were was, was some, some times where I, I, I think he's great and there was some times when he's overselling a lot. On what's going on, um, in a way that is not even endearing. All right, well, the, I think the less said about Clash Three, the better. <laughs> so, uh, our next show is Clash Four. Correct. Well, I look forward to, I look forward to it, Chad. Uh, you too, Parv. Fans, for all of us here at WCW Center Stage, for Cowboy Bill Watts and the American Dream, Dusty roads
0: I'm Jim Ross. Saying good night, everybody.